Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me is Chuck Bryant. We are podcasting right in the midst of death season, Chuck. Wow. Yeah. What, what, I don't know. Oh, you Ed mean, McMahon, sure. Farrah Fawcett, Michael Jackson, Billy Mays. Yeah. Some uh, impressionist I don't know. Yeah, that comedian guy. Yeah. Um, people dropping like flies. Wow. Yeah. I feel lucky to be here. I do too, actually, Chuck. I'm on vacation. I know you are. <laughs> Chuck Bryant is such a world-class employee <laughs> that he actually came in while on vacation to podcast. This is, I'm fresh in from the airport. Yep. From a wedding in Columbus, Ohio. How was it? My first Catholic wedding, dude. Those things are awesome, aren't My they? My first one ever. Plenty of wine. Uh, yeah, the reception, sure. Yeah. But no wine at the at the mass. Or you the, weren't looking around. There, there were flasks of wine <laughs> really? in the pews. Yeah, believe me. It was long. Uh, pretty cool, though. I've never experienced that. When everyone started uh, reciting the, the things. Chanting. Is it called chanting? I call it chanting. It freaked me out at first. Yeah. Quite honestly. Because yeah. I grew up Baptist and uh, there's... People yeah. don't say anything out loud in it's, Baptist churches. But it was interesting. <laughs> Definitely a cool experience to go through. That's You only really need to do it once. I, I would agree. You know, And I, I doubt if I'll go to a lot more weddings. So, Dude, when I was living in Toledo, I probably spent 50 to 70 hours a week in a Catholic wedding. Really? A series of Catholic weddings, yeah. Columbus is pretty cool, though. It's, yeah, Ohio State. Not bad. Go Buckeyes. All right. Are we done? Yes. Okay. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Uh, we are talking about gas mileage. Oh, yes. And how it's calculated, right? Yep. Kick us off, Chuck. Well, <laughs> uh, something you folks might notice when you go to buy a car these days, mm-hmm. um, they'll advertise certain gas mileage, and you may not uh, get the gas mileage when you're driving the car that was on the sticker on the side of the car or on the TV commercial. That was kicking us off? That's a very common thing, to not get the gas mileage that's stated. Well, Why? Well, because, uh, well, let, let's get into this. All right, let's do it, Chuck. So basically, as you stated, pretty much God and everybody knows that whatever it says on the, the sticker on the car, for the, uh, whatever it's uh, miles per gallon has been calculated at, is vastly more than what you're actually going to get. Right. And um, it's not because the EPA isn't putting cars that it tests through rigorous experiences, right? right? It's not because they don't care. No. As a matter of fact, they don't test almost any of the cars that come out. That's actually left to the auto manufacturers. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. Their, uh, they submit their findings to the EPA for review. And then the EPA, I guess, randomly tests about 10 to 15% of the new models that are released. Yeah, I was a little disappointed. I, I would have thought the EPA would be a little more involved in that. You would think so, but no, not really. They're busy, though. Sure. Saving the planet. They're busy running around trying to figure out how to bring uh, super fun sites back. Exactly. Yes. Brownfields. Right. Um, so, Chuck, the other, I guess, big weirdness that has to do with EPA um, fuel efficiency calculations is that cars actually don't ever see the road. True. They're put on, what are they called? It's called a, it sounds kind of fantastic, it's called a dyna- dynamometer. Nice. Dynamometer? Dynamometer? <laughs> Dynamometer? 
den nemmer. Yeah, something like along those lines. Let's call it a fun machine. Yes. Actually, it's like a, it's like a treadmill for a car is what it is. Right. So the car is actually in a lab uh-huh. being tested. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, kind of like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Exactly. Not in reverse. Right. Um, and I guess they have the city. They have a city test, mm-hmm. which is what. Uh, well, both tests involve a professional driver. So this. Yeah. This I wonder driver, how much they get paid. Yeah, that's a good question. Go into the EPA, test drive a car for a few minutes. I wonder what everybody gets paid. Do you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm one of those guys. So, yeah, a professional driver gets in uh, to simulate, depending on which which test, city or or, uh, highway, which uh, driving conditions. So the city program, what they do is uh, they get in, start the engine cold, and then they simulate uh, stop-and-go traffic, idling, that kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they say 11 miles is how lo- how far they drive. Right. And they make 23 stops over the course of 31 minutes. Right. Drive an average speed of 20 miles an hour and the top speed of 56 miles an hour. Which is, yeah, it seems smart. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then the highway test, uh, you start out with a warm engine and they drive 10 miles with an average speed of 48 miles per hour and a top speed of 60 miles per hour for about 12 and a half minutes. Right. So and let me go ahead and say 60 top speed. Eh. Oh, same for me, pal. Not I really like unbelievable. A bat out of hell. Yeah. Uh, me and too. I, I just drive as fast as I can. And if you are in front of me in the fast lane and you're not driving faster than me, you're, I'm yeah. all up on you. You're like the Germans. Pretty much. Or Winston Wolf. Yeah. Uh, I'll, yeah, not quite as fast as that, but... Well, yeah. that's because you don't have a Maserati I can't get my Volvo up that high <laughs> right. now. No, but... Um, okay, so these two tests, they seem logical enough. Here's where things become really illogical and where the discrepancies come from, right? Right. The whole time the EPA's conducting these tests or the auto manufacturer's conducting the test, uh, there is a little sensor jammed into the tailpipe, stuck in there. Right, like when you go to do the uh, emissions testing. Sure. And this thing is measuring how much carbon is present in the uh, exhaust. Right. So instead of looking at the at the tank meter or whatever. The gas gauge. The gas gauge. The tank meter. Sure. <laughs> what country am I from? Uh, the gas gauge. Yeah, that would be the easy way to do it and just divide. But yeah, they, they say this is actually more accurate. It is more accurate. The thing is, is, I mean, do you drive around with the sensor jammed in your tailpipe? I do not, sir. No, nor do I. I'm a very clean person. Um, <laughs> and neither do most people. Right? Correct. Um, so this is why when you go buy a car, the miles per, per gallon calculated are vastly different. That's not the only problem, right? Right. Because it's in a lab, that automatically changes everything. Everything. Not only do we not drive around with sensors jammed up our tailpipes, we also don't drive in laboratories on dynamometers. Right. And there are many, many differences between a dynamometer in a lab and on the road. We're going to lick that word before this podcast's <laughs> over. Uh, weather. That's, wind, a, that's a big one. Wind resistance. Most laboratories are indoors. Right. Different uh, having uh, passengers in your car, having a roof rack with your stupid bike on the back. Yeah. Weight, aerodynamics. And that, yeah. that's that's really probably the biggest one as far as I'm concerned. I mean, think about it. The car is not moving. It's just the wheels. Right? Just the wheels. So there's no drag whatsoever. None. Like when I'm flying down 75 doing 90 miles per hour and it's hot (laughs) out, um, I've got all four of my windows rolled down. Uh And that just devastates fuel efficiency. Yeah, yeah, true. It completely changes the aerodynamic characteristics of the car, which 
uh, Volvos are kind of boxy to begin with. Right. Um, but yeah, I've noticed my, my gas gauges go pew yeah. over like 20 miles. I used, I used to drive a uh, Plymouth Valiant. Did I ever tell you about T, my car T? That was great. Isn't that the one you drove back from L.A.? Well, I, I you towed it to L.A. I towed it to L.A. It okay. wouldn't have made the drive. You bought it in L.A.? No, I bought it here and towed it out there. <laughs> oh, I've never heard of this car then. Well, it's a great car, but it was one of those old gas guzzlers. And this thing literally, dude, if I was accelerating on the highway, if you looked hard enough, you could see the needle move. Wow. Yeah, it was bad. It was real bad. The other things they don't account for, Josh, <laughs> since we're talking about this, yeah. is uh, what they call jackrabbit starts or lead foot acceleration. Because that, that will burn up your gas quicker. Oh, yeah. And that's realistic city driving, you know? Oh, definitely. Most people don't just go... <laughs> they go... Eh. Right. You know they who go, does? Eh. You know who does do that? Who? Chris Cox, our co-worker. Is he a slow, patient driver? He, yeah. And I hope he listens to this. He drives I like hope an, he does, too. If you are listening, Chris, stay out of the fast lane. <laughs> Uh, the, another problem with this test, and, and I know it seems like we're saying that there's nothing but problems with this test, but that's because there isn't. Um, is that it tends to favor, dramatically favor, hybrids. Right, because I believe city driving is where the hybrid really gets the most... It's almost all electric. Yeah, which produces zero emissions. Sure. And they, this, they, I guess they haven't adjusted the, the formula right. to account for that. So, you know, all of a sudden the, um, you know, some hybrid car is just getting these incredible miles per gallon right. ratings when they don't really. Right. Um, there are some some ways around this. Well, before we get to that, can I mention one more thing? Oh yeah, these are brand spanking new cars that they're driving. Oh yes, and uh, no, not only that, they've been broken in properly. Oh, they have. Uh huh. There's actually a way um, that you're supposed to break in a car. Oh, when you first buy one. Uh huh. Um, and I think it does take place over the course of a couple thousand miles. But you you want to drive? I think no more than sixty. Okay. And then stop it, and it's staggered. There's this whole process to it. It could actually probably take up part of a podcast itself. Right. And I don't know enough about it to go into it because I've never had a new car. No one does that. But that's the way you're supposed to do it. Right. So uh, apparently the EPA does it. So these are brand new cars that have been properly broken in. Right. And so they get maximum fuel efficiency. Right. And I think the point, I guess my original point was if you... I don't remember back if, that if, far. If you don't maintain your car, and a lot of people don't maintain their car like you probably should... You're going to get worse gas mileage. Right. Plus, they don't have any of the electrical system running. No AC. Yeah. Well, AC, I was going to The tires are perfectly inflated. Yep. Exactly. Basically, this is like what the EPA thinks everybody should be driving, and absolutely no one does. Well, they said they were going to, and we should follow up on this, they said they were going to start uh, doing more realistic tests in the future. And they said that, I the think. The future. Yeah. I'm not sure if, if that's in effect yet. But yeah. they did say they were going to try and start taking some of these more things into account. It's about time. It is. You know? Agreed. And just look at the gas gauge like everybody else. No one cares how much carbon's present in the exhaust. Save that for the emissions inspection. Yeah. So, Chuck, as I was saying. Yes, cheating the EPA. Yeah, there's some ways to, to beat the EPA at their own game. Right. Well, beat your, beat your car at its own game. Or well. the oil companies. Are you talking about hypermiling? I am, Chuck. You know what that is? Hypermiling? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, do you know who coined it? Uh, some dude in Chicago. What's his name? Wayne Gertis. Yes. The king of hypermiling. Yeah. I, I think, I'm not sure if he won the title or not, but I think he's the world's most fuel efficient driver. I think so too. Yeah. And he is dedicated to it. Like, the, I will never hypermile. Ever. No. I, it just takes too much patience 
and you're slow. You're the slowest driver on the road when you're hypermiling. Right. You hyperdrive. Thanks. That's different. But um, it, it it definitely improves your, your fuel efficiency for sure. Yeah, I got a stat. Let's hear it. Um, Edmunds, the, uh, the car magazine Edmunds, they did an experiment, and they found that hypermiling, you can get an extra 35% more per gallon, and that was in a Land Rover. Yeah, which guzzles. And apparently, if you hypermile in like a Toyota Prius, you can bump it up to like 80 to 100 miles a gallon, they say. Yeah, I saw a picture. Uh, there was a Mother Jones article on uh, Wayne Gertis, and they had two um, shots of these two different dashboards, one from a Prius and I think one from an Insight or something like that. Uh-huh. And these things were clocking like 150 miles per gallon. Man, that's nuts. Yeah, it is nuts. And I don't drive. I probably, I don't even know if I put 50 miles a week on my car, maybe 75 miles a week. You could make a tank of gas last like a year like that. I could. If yeah. I had a Prius, I should do that. Yeah. But I have my old Civic and uh, gets decent gas mileage. But I don't drive enough to invest in a new car at this point. Well, the cool thing about um, about hypermiling is you don't need a new car. You can do it with any car. Yeah, that's true. It's merely a series of techniques. You don't have to go buy anything. Right. You don't have to do anything except drive pretty conscientiously and be aware of what you're doing, like um, accelerating and braking too quickly. You were saying uh-huh. uh, it, it, that that was the Edmonds test. Yeah, that was based on on taking off at a, at a red light or just driving up to a red light and slamming on your brakes. They're both wastes of gas. Right. Um, so too is driving on the highway without cruise control. Yeah, I didn't realize that they actually that same test uh, by Edmonds actually vastly improved. Uh, the fuel efficiency of the Land Rover, and I think they tested a Mustang too. Uh-huh. But they got the biggest bang for their buck um, using cruise control at seventy at seventy on the Land Rover. Because if you think about it, I mean, even if you're really paying attention uh-huh. to to staying at seventy miles an hour, right? It's still based on your foot, and your foot is flawed. Sure. It's kind of heavy. It's a clumsy thing. I have a club foot. I know you do. I wasn't going to bring it up, right. but. Um, so yeah, you want to rely on cruise control. Those two things alone will will really in, in, increase your fuel efficiency. Right. Driving at lower speeds is a really important thing too. Yeah. Did Did it say anywhere where, what the ideal speed was? No, but I've always heard sixty. Oh, really? I've always heard like thirty-five to forty, for like the ultimate gas mileage. I'm talking highway. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, you'll get in trouble if you drive thirty-five to forty. Right. No, that makes sense then. Yeah, I think in the city though it's thirty-five to forty. Is it? Yeah. Well, I know that they used to have much. Well, I guess today's um, posted speed limits back in the early seventies or late sixties, and then because of the oil embargo, that's when they were right. dropped down to fifty-five was to increase fuel efficiency right. in cars. And then they've kicked it back up. Most yeah, places. because everybody's like, we want to drive fast again. We don't care about it. Yeah. We're we're on the highway to hell anyway. Just right. let us drive as fast as we want. That can't drive fifty-five crowd. And uh, AC apparently. Is kind of a big one using it at max power, yeah, which is decisive, uncompromising, and rude. I um, have to though. Yeah, I I don't. My AC doesn't work. As I said, Ugh. I drive down the highway with the the windows open. Yeah, and that apparently is way worse than driving with your AC on. Right, because of the drag. Sure. And this guy, he also uh, doesn't he coast and uh, cut his engine early if he's approaching a a, a parking space. Mm-hmm. So he'll he'll coast the last whatever however far he can. To, to park his car. And Gertis actually on uh, his site, I think it's cleanmpg.com. Uh-huh. If that's not his site, he, he writes heavily for it. Um, he answered an age-old question for me. If you are going to be idling for longer than seven seconds, 
turn your car off. Really? Because it takes about seven seconds worth of gas to turn a fuel-injected car over. Yeah, I've people always wondered. That. Yeah, I've never heard like an whoever told me. I didn't believe. Right. I believe this guy. Sure. So if you're sitting like at a, at a drive-through or something, turn the car off. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, and then there's some slightly more uh, advanced techniques for people who are really into this. Patient people. Like what? Like uh, ridge riding. Don't know that. Uh, that was actually another term coined by Gerdes that um, I hope I'm saying his last name right. I've never met the guy, so. Gerd. <laughs> okay. Um, it's where you hug the far right line, solid line, uh-huh. of the far right lane on the highway. Okay. Uh, and one of the, there's you do this for two reasons. One is to make yourself really obvious and noticeable to other drivers, so they have an opportunity to pass you early because <laughs> you're going 35 miles an hour. Yeah, because I, I think he drives like 50, right, uh, or 45 or 50 on the highway. On the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I was probably wrong about 60 because this guy's probably going to drive at the optimal speed on the highway. Yeah. Um, so number one, it makes you obvious because you're not positioned like everybody else. Okay. But secondly, in bad weather, especially rain. You're actually taking yourself out of those depressions that have worn into uh, the asphalt okay. where the puddles are forming. Right. And so, that'll slow you down? Sure. Running through through water? Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, definitely. Because you're, you're, your wheels are moving, but you're not getting anywhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So you're, you've lost traction. You're a hypermiler, Josh, in a way. I just know a lot about it. I'll, I, again, I'll never do it. Right. Uh, and then probably my favorite is distant anticipatory focus. D-A-F. Yes. Yeah, so, Gerdes basically tries to drive like he doesn't have brakes. Right? Oh, yeah. Okay. He maintains a very slow, steady pace, so he's looking several lights ahead. Right. To uh, to time his driving to that light. Right. He's, he's trying to accelerate slowly to to keep in time with this, these lights, because he wants nothing but green lights. Gotcha. That makes sense. He never has to use his brakes. Uh-huh. And that saves quite a bit, too. Of course, this is the same guy who also turns off his ignition and coasts into parking spaces. <laughs> right. So, yeah, but uh, that's pretty much hypermiling. I mean, there's actually a lot more to it, uh, taking advantage of other cars, like using 18-wheelers to draft off of. Yeah, well, th- that's uh, a lot of the NASCAR guys hypermile. They, yeah. They don't call it that. I don't know what they call it. Racing? Someone probably has that answer. But, they, yeah, during um, the uh, the caution, when they have, uh, like, debris on the track. Mm-hmm, and the pace cars there? Yeah, the little guy will throw out the caution flag, and that means you, everyone's got to slow down until they clean all the crud off the track. And um, the uh, a lot of the drivers will cut their engines and coast for a while and then cut them back on and then cut them again. And then while they're racing, they will draft. That's a very popular technique to save fuel. Yeah. Because in NASCAR, if you the, the fewer stops, the better. Sure. Obviously. Yeah. You a NASCAR guy? No. Me neither. No. I watched it for a while. Remember, I really love the origin of NASCAR. Which yeah. Is bootlegging. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. other than that, I'm not really into NASCAR. My sister in law, Sarah, who uh, I was just with in Ohio, is big into NASCAR. And we always give her a hard time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we call her a redneck and stuff. That's funny. Yeah, it's good. Well, Chuck, um, anything that's else? about it? No. I mean, really, until until we come up with an alternative fuel source or, right. you know, standard 100 mile an hour or 100 miles per gallon uh, cars. Right. It's a good idea, Hypermile. Yeah, we should say, though, I think exercise some caution if you want to try this stuff out because, you know, some cars, if you turn the key off, don't turn all the way off because your steering wheel will lock up. That's a good point, And uh, I think sometimes the air brakes are uh, activated when you start the car, right? Yeah, so I think you want to keep keep it set to ignition or yeah, start. Yeah, keep it set to the on position. Yeah, so you can still hear your position. radio. 
No, so you still see lights on the dashboard. Right. Yeah. So just just be careful if you want to try some experimentation here. You were really good at COA, buddy. Well, I could see somebody. Do you have any idea how many times we we would have been sued? I know. Were it not for you? And just in my mind's eye, I just pictured someone saying, "Josh and Chuck said to cut my engine," and, and all the of a sudden, like, "Who's this Josh and Chuck?" They go to pull into the car uh, to the parking space, and their steering wheel locks up, and <laughs> yeah, never wreck at <laughs> six miles an hour. <laughs> Well, good. All right. That's hypermiling and yes. EPA. We'll, we'll go keep an eye out to see if the EPA actually does do any real-world testing. Good idea. Let's so what? So. Listener mail? I think so. Okay. Nowhere to go but up, right? Josh, we are going to call this what was in my inbox before I came in. Listener mail. <laughs> awesome. That's a secret, actually. I shouldn't have revealed that. A good way to get on listener mail is to email me the day we record. It's not a secret any longer. It is not. This is about the Peter Principle. Remember, we did a, a podcast about the fact that many companies will not demote somebody. They will just fire somebody right. if they're incompetent. Yeah. And uh, this is from Jennifer, and she says that uh, she worked for the same company, uh, has still working there for five or six years. And last November, she was worked her way up to the top of uh, sales support, and she was kicked down to reception instead of fired. Wow. And she uh, was told about her new job and said that she was getting the demotion because she was the weakest person on the team. That's a little harsh. I thought so. And she asked them during the meeting, why didn't they just fire her? And they said because she was still a very important part of the team. Good cop, bad cop. Just the worst part of the team. Exactly. (laughs) A very important part of our team, but the worst part. Don't forget that. Uh, And she said that um, her pay didn't change, so she's actually a very high-paid receptionist, and um, actually makes more than a lot of people on the sales team now at the reception desk. Which I'll bet the sales team just loves. And we actually did have someone else email another company that said that they practiced this as well. Well, that's fantastic. Two out of several hundred thousand. Yeah. Not too bad. And uh, she also adds here at the end that we sometimes give shout-outs to our uh, men and women overseas who are fighting in yeah. uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and to support them. And she says that she's an Air Force wife. And that uh, we should mention the families occasionally that are left behind because it's very hard on them. Do it, Chuck. And my brother-in-law is in the Marine Corps, and he has been deployed many times. My sister Michelle and uh, her kids, Shelby and Reagan, are often left at home for months at a time, and it is hard on the family. So when we say uh, support the troops, we mean the whole family, the whole kit and caboodle. Nicely done, Chuck. Thank you. Nicely done. That's it. Well, if you want a mea culpa out of Chuck, uh, you can email us at stuffpodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?